The Julia Hartley Brewer Podcast. Open discussion. Healthy debate. Stay on top of the news agenda. Bristling with debate. The Julia Hartley Brewer Podcast from Talk Radio. Joining me here in the studio now to discuss all of that and, of course, the Supreme Court decision uh, and, of course, Philip Bradman's resignation as well is our chief political commentator, Peter Caldwell, and also Lord David Frost, former chief Brexit negotiator and also former Cabinet Office Minister as well. Uh, good afternoon to you both. Uh, welcome back again, uh, Peter. Funny, Philip, you're going to have quite a busy day. Um, <laughs> let's just, first of all, we're going to talk about the Supreme Court really. I'd just like to get your reaction, first of all, from you, uh, Lord Frost, about those exchanges between Rishi Sunak and Sakir Starmer. Initially, actually, they started just as we went live to the to, uh, the chamber with uh, Rishi Sunak, um, sorry, with the uh, with the, uh, the, the, the Nikhil Starmer asking Rishi Sunak about the Intelligence Security Committee uh, and the new foreign the new foreign secretary David Cameron, Lord Cameron's role uh, in a Chinese investment firm that may have been engineered by China. Um, an interesting first question to go on, given given Suella Braverman's sacking, given her resignation letter, given the Supreme Court ruling, which we then went on to. But why do you think you started with that? Well, I suppose there are quite a, a number of things he could have gone on uh, this week, uh, so uh, plenty of targets. I think there is a concern, I wouldn't overstate it, but I think there is a concern that um, the, the, the policy on China ought to be a bit more robust mm-hmm. and the return of David Cameron may be a signal that it isn't going to get any more robust. We'll, we'll have to see. Yeah, it's a good sense. We know in Duncan Smith and others who, who yeah. uh, uh, said, said that as well. Let's talk about the substance, though, that they got into in those, most of those questions, which was about the Rwanda Supreme Court ruling. Your, your response, first of all, to the ruling by those five judges on the Supreme Court, read up by Lord Reid. Uh, we got it basically uh, two hours ago. Basically, the policy in principle is legal, as previous courts have said, but in practice, with Rwanda, with the treaties that they've got, the processes there, the likelihood of people to be sent back to their country of origin and face persecution um, is too great, and therefore the policy is unlawful. Do you think the judges got that right? I think it's pretty unusual, to be honest, for judges to get into commenting on uh, really what's a foreign policy question, the the security and safety and reputableness of Rwanda. And it's only in recent years they've started to make those sort of judgments. However, they've made it and the government's got to deal with it. And either it acquiesces in it, in which case Rwanda is uh, dead, I think, Mm -hmm. as a policy, or it's got to decide we're going to legislate to overrule the Supreme Court and push through and uh, come what may. Well, that's it. And the, and the Prime Minister did suggest in his answers that he said that he was working on a new treaty with Rwanda, that's something that had been touted in advance, to address the court's concerns and said, if necessary, I am prepared to revisit our domestic legal frameworks. What he means by that is our, our, our signatory, signatory to the European Convention on Human Rights, yes? Well, uh, let's see. Uh, it could mean quite a lot of things, and I'm not sure, looking at the, the the Prime Minister's decisions over the last year on a number of things, that he's really up for overruling international law and the court. Let, let's see. It would be great if he did, but uh, I'm not And it's really something convinced. a lot of backbench Tory MPs might be looking yeah. for. Let's bring in Peter Carwell, our chief political commentator. Um, it was a little bit messy and scrappy, the, those exchanges, but I think we got a, a real taste of 
the election campaign ahead, didn't we? What did you make of Very what they had to say? personal attacks. Neither of them was at their, uh, at their best, really, at this PMQs. But certainly lots of, you supported Jeremy Corbyn, you wanted him to be the leader of the Labour Party and Prime Minister, uh, Keir Starmer. That is, is a very personal attack on him. That he, he's done that a number of times. But certainly quite a number of fronts that Keir Starmer really went for Rishi Sunak on. There was a lot around at the moment. Rishi Sunak, of course, wanted to talk about uh, about the economy. He, to, he didn't even barely got a mention of the inflation yeah. figures. I mean, again, um, you're talking about a policy that's going to actually impact yeah. most people. Of all the things we're talking about on the show this week, the thing that's going to most impact most people in this country and make a real difference to their lives is inflation. Yes. More than halving from... Rishi Sunak has made that pledge. Mm -hmm. Not that it was ever in his power. I mean, mm -hmm. this was something that happened. Inflation rate went up, inflation rate gone down. It's very little to do with government policy. That it's, it's external events, but down to 4.6%, a huge jump uh, down, full, a fall that was bigger than the invited commerce experts, they never get it right, expected, but barely getting a mention today. Yes, indeed, and very interesting as well that whilst Rishi Sunak may want to talk about that, take credit for it, emphasis of course on whether he can stop the boats, 33% yeah. down, certainly well, he will tout as an achievement, but definitely really those attacks on Starmer as well, saying that he's never voted for stronger asylum legislation, for example, that he's soft on this. Interesting, especially in the context of this week and the reshuffle, people are saying people have, the Conservatives have moved more to the centre ground with mm -hmm. some of those appointments, like Cameron, but actually a lot of that a lot of what Rishi Sunak said, I don't think Sheila Braverman would disagree with a lot of it, actually. OK. Um, let's come back to you, Lord Frost. I mean, the the dance steps we've seen over the last week. So Tuesday, last week, we know that the Prime Minister met with uh, David Cameron, as he was then, former Prime Minister, to offer him a job. He accepted the job on the Thursday. Around that time, we had all the, the letter, you know, the article in the Times newspaper by Suella Braverman, the then Home Secretary, some of the language. I think people like me agree with the general thrust of what she had to say, unhappy, as many people are with some of the language. She admits even in her resignation yes, letter, absolutely. doesn't actually often choose the right words, gets herself. She's her own worst enemy, a lot of us would think. Then we had the events of the weekend. Then we had the announcement, I mean, I think shocking to pretty much everyone other than David Cameron and Rishi Sunak, that David Cameron will be back in the Cabinet as Lord, uh, uh, as Lord Cameron, as the Foreign Secretary. Suella Bradman out, we've seen her letter. I mean, all of this, we knew that that march was taking place on Saturday. We also knew that the Supreme Court was going to make its ruling. It was always very likely, more likely, to go against the government than go with the government. That's, that, that was the general expectation. Has this all been played in the dance steps? Has this all been choreographed? by Rishi Sunak to come to this moment so that he sort of is more in charge of this policy? Or has this just been a tsunami of sort of mess and noise that has hit him and he's dealing with it? I think it's just a tsunami of mess and noise. I mean, it was only a couple of weeks ago we knew the Supreme Court ruling was coming. Now uh, the, the protests obviously have been going for a month or so. I think the reshuffle is an effort to, to get a grip and make the Cabinet his own. And of course, he's entitled to put in the Cabinet who he he wishes, and I hope the government can succeed. But uh, until the government's policies deal with the things that really matter to people, housing, immigration, net zero, tax spend, not just inflation, then it's always going to be aiming off from what people want to hear. And I haven't really heard anything that suggests that's changing. Well, Sola Braverman's letter, she talked about the Prime Minister portraying on their agreement, she said, and. and um, about her giving to giving him support to become leader, uh, she basically says, you know, she, she her her support was a pivotal factor in Rishi Sunak winning the leadership for the second time after losing it. She points out in her letter to Liz Truss last summer, summer, summer last year. But she also I mean, there's a hint that there was this document. Uh, there's actually a statement they've actually agreed and he signed. 
very unusual if that is the case. Um, but also she talked about him betraying the promise to the nation to stop the boat. She said he has no appetite for doing what's necessary, no real intention of fulfilling the pledge to the British people, saying that he, she was ignored over Rwanda and those marches, uh, and saying, someone needs to be honest, your resets have failed, we are running out of time, you need to change course urgently. There is no plan B, she says, if the Rwanda migrant policy is blocked by the Supreme Court. Do you agree with any, all or none of that? I agree with most of it. We're definitely running out of time. Uh, we're seeing our poll ratings go down and down, bit by bit. Labour right now. Yeah, absolutely. That poll last night shows us shows us a long way behind. And one of the reasons is that a lot of the people who voted for us in 2019 are not planning to vote for us, and it, they're not doing that because they're not seeing proper conservative policies that they voted for. And until we get them, I don't really see why that situation is is going to change. So I think Suella is right on, on her issues as Home Secretary to say we need to deliver on what we have promised to do and today's decision has blocked that and I think the Prime Minister needs to up the ante and push forward with legislation that it puts the government back in control of the borders. But realistically, that was something that was pointed out in Suella's letter as well, that he's not really willing to do that. I mean, that's, that is the key thing. Um, she says, on, on, as on so many other issues, you sought to put off tough decisions in order to minimise political risk to yourself. There is this basic hint that, look, you want to be seen as one of the nice people. It's like, you know, the, the decision to bring back David Cameron. I have no axe to grind with David Cameron, very personable, very nice, man, very, I thought it was a very competent uh, a prime minister, in fact. But the idea that he's the solution to whatever the problem is right now means you have dis you know, you're completely misidentified what the problem is. There is this sort of urge, it seems, by the sort of the technocratic, let's face it, private school educated establishment elite to say, don't worry your pretty little heads, we're going to be back in charge. We have commentators on the BBC and Sky talk about the grown-ups being back in the room. I think they mean that people like you and me who agitated for Brexit and the like, I think they and, and think that we should have strong immigration and border policies. And I think they think we're not grown-ups, but this is part of the problem, isn't it? This is one of the reasons why people voted for Brexit, why they voted for Boris, why, why, they, why they went through those, those, those you know, survived to 2019 through those three horrific years yeah. of our parliamentary democracy being undermined because they felt betrayed by the very people who are now being brought back in power. Too many of the people in charge in this country, and I, I don't just mean my party, I mean across parties and institutions, think there was nothing really wrong with the country before the Brexit vote. They were doing fine. They were Gene doing all right. Absolutely. Uh, the Brexit vote and then the 2019 vote showed a lot of people thought there was something wrong with the country and they wanted a lot of things to change. And at the moment, for a lot of complicated reasons, we are not delivering on that change. And that is why the polls are where they are. And unless we change that, we're going to lose. Just, people, people are so, they are fed up. They are angry, they are dejected, they, they are, they're frustrated. Is there any possibility this government is going to tackle this issue? Well, I, I hope so. I mean, it's caught in this web of international commitments, the ECHR, the UN, domestic courts, international courts, all this sort of thing. There's a theme there, been, isn't there? There is. It's government by lawyers uh, rather than the rule of law. And we have to find a way through that. Now, I think the way of going through it is to go back to some of the principles, which is that the UK Parliament is sovereign and can legislate as it wishes for... <laughs> 
sorry. These sort of old-fashioned ideas, yeah. they'll never catch They've on. They've served the country pretty well, and uh, we need to get back to that. We need to legislate to cut through this. There does seem to be this idea from the lefty lawyers that Rishi Sunak loves to have a go at at PMQs normally, that this idea, and in the courts, where we have the activist judges, we know that. They, the interpretations of the European you know, Convention or the uh, asylum laws, they, they have completely changed in the last 10, 20 years. But, but crucially, there's this idea that, well, but, but it's the law, you can't change the law. Well, but the law was changed to bring in those laws. It's almost like they, the, the human rights lawyers, they want the law to just be you know, in aspect forever. Yeah. We have got into this position where every past treaty we signed, every past commitment is is deemed to continue forever, even if the conditions change completely. And that that is what is happening. We simply can't insulate uh, so many important issues from normal electoral politics. Indeed. That's why people are frustrated. Peter Carwell, you're a chief political commentator. One of the first things that was said by Lord Reid, the President of the Supreme Court, was the court is not concerned with political debates. But again, this is a clearly, purely legal decision. I mean, you know, good luck with Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com. That, President of the Supreme Court. Um, the reality is these things are political. Um, does anything change with the fact that, you know, we've got all this criticism of the government around a policy, but Germany, Austria, Italy, other countries all looking to do very similar deals. Does, does that change the, you know, I don't know, the Overton window, really, for, for, the, for the rules of debate on this, where anyone who says we shouldn't accept every person who arrives on a dinghy as, as, as a desperate refugee and offer them their spare room is a bad, terrible, xenophobic bigot. Does that change that whole, the realms of the discussion? I'm not sure it does necessarily. I think people will still believe what they believed yesterday, even because of this Supreme Court ruling. I don't think it was a huge shock necessarily. The, the interesting point is at what stage do people criticise the, the judges rather than the judge? I bet the Daily the Mail will tomorrow. Well, enemies, Traitors, enemies of the people, we remember that uh, front page. Liz Truss got in, in trouble for that. The prorogation was something that uh, lots of people criticised. Uh, Brenda Hale, Lady Hale. So certainly uh, this is political. Whether they like it or not, yep. this is political. This is central plank of what the current government wants to do and what the ne- probably next government after the next election vehemently opposes and would drop immediately. So this is a very, very political issue. And whilst the judgment was, I'm sure they would argue and did argue earlier today, specifically on the issues of law, nonetheless, it has massive political implications and that cannot be ignored. Absolutely. Well, Lord Frost, we, we, we're expecting a statement any moment now from the new Home Secretary, mm-hmm. James Clever. You must be seething that uh, his job was offered elsewhere more than a week ago to David Cameron when he apparently was supposed to be doing a very good job, very popular <laughs> among Tory party members and voters as well. Um, we are going to expect a statement from the Prime Minister, uh, a press conference later this evening as well at quarter to five uh, from number 10. Um, so we've got all these statements. We've already had a, a prime ministerial statement as well in, in response to this. And he's talking about how we will stop the boats. This was not the outcome we wanted. We will now consider next steps. He said in PMQs that they are going to be looking at, you know, these, these possible legal changes. <laughs> will anyone believe the prime minister, though, given what Suella Braverman said in this three-page excoriating letter 
where, you know, she says, there isn't a plan B. You've reneged on your promises to me. You've bet you're betraying the promises you made to the nation to stop both. Do you think anyone's going to believe that the Prime Minister really has his heart in it? Only action will make a difference now. I think people do not believe words. I've heard that from lots of people around the country and one can't really blame them. Uh, we need actual action in terms of Is there time to do that for the next election? I mean, there, there is time to bring forward legislation if, it, if, if the government wishes it uh, and wants to drive it through. Whether everybody in the Conservative Party would support it, given the uh, broad philosophical range that there now seems to be in the uh, Conservative Party in Parliament, that's not clear. Uh, but I think we should do it because we've said we would do this. It's one of his five key pledges. Yeah. Look, we, the Prime Minister, I think, against his own expectation, met one of his five pledges, which was to halve inflation. It was over 10% yeah. when he made that pledge in that's January. Right. He said that's what he wants to be uh, judged on. Although, of course, the British people have a funny habit of deciding themselves uh, who, they, when they, who they want to judge and what they want to judge people on. Um, actually, right. we're going to come back to you in just a few moments. The new Home Secretary, James Cleverley, has just got to his feet in the House of Commons. Let's take a little bit of what he had to say, his statement on the Supreme Court judgment on the Rwanda policy. Let's go live to the House of Commons. ...remove people to Rwanda. The important thing to note is that the judgment of the court today was made on the basis of facts from 15 months ago. The government, of course, fully respects the Supreme Court, but its judgment does not weaken our resolve to deter people from making these illegal dangerous and unnecessary journeys. This is a lengthy judgment which we now need to digest and reflect upon. We take our obligations to the courts very seriously, which is why we have already taken action to address a number of the points raised by the lower courts. It is only through breaking the business model of illegal people traffickers that we can fully take control of our borders and save lives at sea. This is why the PM backed our deal with Rwanda, passed legislation to deliver it, and said last December that other countries would follow our lead. And what we have now seen is other countries are indeed now also exploring third country models for illegal migration, including Austria, Germany, Denmark, and Italy in their deal with Albania a new and innovative model for processing asylum claims. Nothing in the Supreme Court judgment today dims our commitment. The Supreme Court has said that there are issues with Aranda's asylum system which could create the possibility of someone being returned to a country where they could face <coughs> persecution. I am struck by the Court's remarks about the risk of refoulement. The structural, and I quote, the structural changes and capacity building needed to eliminate that risk may be delivered in the future, but they were not shown to be in place at the time when the lawfulness of this policy had been considered in these proceedings, making reference to the earlier proceedings. We have a plan to provide exactly that certainty. We anticipate that this as a possible, we anticipated uh, this judgment as a possible result, and for the last few months have been working on a plan to provide the certainty that the court demands. We have been working with Rwanda to build capacity and amend agreements with Rwanda to make clear 
that those sent there cannot be sent to another country than the UK. Our intention is to uphold our agreement, to upgrade our agreement to a treaty as soon as possible. That will make it absolutely clear to our courts and to Strasbourg that the risks laid out by the court today have been responded to, will be consistent with international law and ensure that Parliament is able to scrutinise it. The Prime Minister... Right, well, that was the Home Secretary, James Cleverly, speaking in the House of Commons. His statement continues. I think we've got the gist of it, basically talking about uh, uh, how uh, we are... He said uh, we, they fully respect the Supreme Court. They still want to deter crossings, but pointing to those other European countries, also following similar schemes to Rwanda. Um, also interesting, starting saying that uh, this court was making a decision based on facts from 15 months ago, from when these, courts, these cases first went to uh, the, the High Court and then the Court of Appeal. Joining me still in the studio, I'm delighted to say, uh, is Lord Frost, a former Brexit chief negotiator and former cabinet office minister. And back in the studio, uh, we dragged him back out from behind the bins, uh, Benedict Spence, Conservative commentator. Uh, Lord Frost, um, interesting, the facts are from 15 months ago. Does that suggest, is that a hint that the government is going to try and challenge that decision from the Supreme Court? I'm not quite sure what the legal process is there, but if they make these changes to the treaty with Rwanda, would that possibly work? Well, uh, I, I'm not sure is the honest answer. Um, I don't think a huge amount's changed from Rwanda in the last 15 months to, to suggest that there will be a different yep. decision. Um, treaty is, is obviously more legally binding than a memorandum of understanding, but the court was so scathing about Rwanda's institutions, their courts, the government, uh, their willingness to ignore treaties they'd already signed. That I mean, I don't quite see why they can be confident that a treaty will yeah. would change. So judgment. the Rwanda policy is dead. Can the policy of putting people on planes to take them to a third country, that in principle has been approved by the High Court, Court of Appeal and the Supreme Court, just need to find a country Three. that is willing to take them, who, yes. who will pass muster for the, the bien-pensant dinner parties in Islington where the lawyers decide where or where is not an acceptable place to send people that, frankly, no-one wants. Yeah, probably there aren't that many such countries. That is the, the problem. Of course, they've looked at uh, an overseas territory, sort of Ascension Island option. That's legally easier, but practically incredibly complicated. Uh, OK, you, we've had footage all day, you know, these... these, these this plane that was, you know, on the tarmac back in June 2022 um, that never actually took off, well, because there wasn't any, there wasn't any asylum seeker on it. Does a plane ever leave the tarmac at a British airport at any point before the next election, or indeed ever, <laughs> which is taking people who have arrived here on those boats to, to stay in this country and to be processed elsewhere, because apparently there were some 340 migrants who all arrived on dinghies. They were sitting there ready. The government had their names ready, everything approved. Rwanda had accepted these people. They were going to be put onto the first planes, realistically not for a few months. Do those planes ever take off? The only way they take off is if the government passes a law that says, we don't care what the Supreme Court says, we don't care what the ECHR says on this subject. As far as we are concerned, Rwanda is safe and we intend to send people there. If it does that, it can happen. And if it doesn't, Do you believe it won't. 
It's clear, clear the former Home Secretary, Suella Braverman, doesn't believe. Do you believe that Rishi Sunak and his new Home Secretary and his new Foreign Secretary, Lord Cameron, would be willing to do that? I, let's see. That, the, what, That's we heard a no. of, what we heard of the statement just now doesn't suggest a huge amount of resolve to no. change the situation. Benedict Spence, bring you in. You and I have discussed this ad nauseum over the last uh, year or so. The reality is, as we all accept, and everyone who knows anything about this accepts that even if this policy was legal, even mm. if this policy was actually enacted, and we saw people putting on planes and going to Rwanda, mm. it still doesn't solve the problem. This is a drop in the ocean in terms of the number of people who are arriving on our shores illegally. It is. And I mean, the, the way to look at this is that the British state has effectively decided that policing your borders is immoral. So rather than having to deal with that, it has decided to outsource that to a third party and then has had a really long, difficult conversation with itself where it's told itself, no, you can't do that because policing borders is immoral and that's what the person you've outsourced it to is doing. That's the sort of the ridiculousness. And as you say, Whilst this is all going on, the numbers continue to sort of tick, uh, tick upwards. I mean, what Lord Frost says is, you know, finding a, a British overseas territory practically might be more difficult. But that isn't actually the obstacle right now. The obstacle is legal, I suppose. So therefore, you have to sort of take the practicals, uh, practicality and say, well, perhaps that is going to be easier than trying to circumvent the law. Because let's also be very clear. If we go back, if the government goes back and it tries to sign a new agreement with Rwanda saying, oh, come on, you know, improve your human rights, you know, that would yeah. be great. What does that do? It makes the British government look weak because it's having to yep. hand it both to the Rwandans and to the Supreme Court. Yep. It is the government. It has a majority. It can change the law if it wants That's to. That's kind of... The, I thought, Lord Frost, that was kind of the point of governments. They could change <laughs> the laws and they were and they were given a mandate. As they, this government has clearly been... I know people say, oh, Rishi Sunak not elected. We don't elect prime ministers. We vote for a local MP. At Boris Johnson, the Tory government, the Tory was given a majority of 80. This was one of the things that everyone expected them to do. Rishi Sunak has said, judge my premiership on this. He's not going to deal with it. What do the British people do as a result? Because what are the alternatives for them? The alternative, obviously, is electing a government that, that will control the borders. At the moment, they don't Who? seem like they're going to be offered that, that option. Um, we, we have crept into this situation where international law commitments and treaties and what courts say are thought to be more important than what the electorate says and what the government yep. wants to do. The government is not in control of this country's borders. And until it passes legislation that says it is, we're going to carry on having this problem. Yes. The Julia Hartley Brewer Podcast. Open discussion. Healthy debate. Stay on top of the news agenda. Bristling with debate. The Julia Hartley Brewer Podcast from Talk Radio.